A number of months ago I uh, brought to your attention the idea of starting a children's work um, or Sunday school of some kind here in the church and I thought it would be good for us this evening as a one-off study just to consider uh, the biblical reasons for engaging in this kind of work. And so I want us to look at this uh, Psalm 78 here, use this as a bit of a springboard for our uh, topic this evening and I've entitled Uh, Tonight's study, slightly wordy, but uh, the biblical warrant and necessity of child evangelism. The biblical warrant and necessity of child evangelism. And as I said, I want to use this passage really to use as a a springboard into this subject. And I want to just consider three headings with you this evening. And the first thing I want us to think about is that child evangelism is essential. Child evangelism is Essential. Now we have to, I think, begin by uh, stating that every church, of course, is under the command of Christ to reach out. You think about the uh, words of Mark 16 and verse 15 where the Lord Jesus Christ commanded, and he, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christ's church is to be making disciples of all men and As we can see from the Saviour's command, no age limit is given when he he gave that command. Never is the church commanded to instruct and disciple and baptise and preach to only one particular group within society. And the reason for this is because all people all have the same needs. Every person needs the gospel, don't they? Now I don't need to remind you here this evening of the many verses in scripture that speak of the depravity and the sinfulness of man. Let me just remind you, though, of a few. You think of Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or you think of Romans 3, and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or you think of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ's description in Mark 7 and 21 of the human heart and all that flows from it and how it defiles, that's what defiles a man or a woman, the things that come out of a man. And he speaks there, doesn't he, of how awful, how wicked the human heart is. And we could go on listing uh, scripture after scripture, but do these descriptions really describe everybody? I mean, is a child in the early years of their life really this depraved? You know, to think that the unconverted are described as being blind and disobedient and, and perishing, surely this doesn't describe children too, does it? Well, again, we turn back to our, our Bibles, and you recall, for example, the words of uh, David in Psalm 51, that penitential psalm. You remember what he says there in Psalm 51 and verse 5? He says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And David is emphasising that his nature was sinful. It was not just the streams that, that flowed from him that were polluted, but it, you know, it was not just the sin, as it were, that he did, but rather he expresses that the very fountain was filthy. His constitution itself was riddled with this infinite corruption, Theologians, of course, call it original sin. It's what Paul expresses, isn't it, in Romans chapter 5 when he tells us that by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. 
And this includes children. It includes children's hearts. Every child has a sinful heart. Every child pursues a sinful course in this world. Their will is bent away from God's. There are their affections right from their very beginnings are for this world. Satan is their master. And this reminds us, doesn't it, that children as well as adults are sinful. All these verses remind us of this. And therefore it also reminds us that children as well as adults need salvation. Children need a saviour just as much as adults need a saviour. And the only thing that can meet a boy or a girl's desperate need is, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only message, isn't it, that's described as the power of God unto salvation. It's a message that focuses on Christ and him crucified. It's a message that centres on Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And nothing less can meet their need and nothing more is required. What we seek is not better children, is it? We're not to make them better behaved or better citizens when they're older. We're not just to simply give them better Bible knowledge. No, we, are, uh, we want to uh, point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to simply instill within them a, a good moral compass. When you listen to some uh, children's messages, you might think that's, that's all what the aim was all about, was just seeking to give children a, a moral framework. Now what we want is for them to be saved and to come to a, a knowledge of the truth. You look at what the psalmist says here in this psalm that we have before us, Psalm 78. He's encouraged them to teach their children in these opening verses. But then you look at verses 7 and 8 and you have the purpose of why they're to teach their children. Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God's and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that sets not their hearts aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And you see there he's pointing back to the previous generation whose heart was not aright, and the psalmist says, look, the end goal here is something inwards. It's something deep, it's, it's an inward change, it's a heart change that we, we're seeking. And this is something that we desire for everyone, children included, old as well as young. We want them to have their hearts changed and to know God's spirit so that they might set their hope in God's. Now we should also add at this point that those descriptions that we uh, noted earlier concerning man's sinful condition, if they are correct, then we must conclude that we can never be too early in seeking to reach children with the gospel. And we can never be too early, can we, in desiring and praying for children's salvation? It's a good question for us to ask. Do we pray for the children and young people that we know? Do we pray that they would be saved? Is that uh, the thing that we long for most for our children and our grandchildren? Do we long that while they are young they would come to a, a personal saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, we, we should. That should be our chief desire for the young people that we meet and the young people that are around us in society. And of course we can extend this even to the unborn, even unborn children when they're in the womb. We can pray for them that in their early years they would come to know the <coughs> Saviour. It's a good prayer for us to pray. Pray for children. 
But we could also notice in the second place, not only is child evangelism essential, but child evangelism is encouraged. The Bible repeatedly gives us instructions regarding the young and the teaching and the training of children. Just look again at this psalm here and the verses, uh, the opening verses of this psalm. In the first place, the psalmist in verse 1, he calls the people to come around and to listen to what he says in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, he says what he's about to say to them is only a reminder. He says, what which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. He's saying, all I'm going to pass on to you now is, is something that was already passed on to me and to us. And he says, we're not to hide this from our, our children Notice that in verse 4, he has this wonderful resolve. We will not hide it from our children. We will not hide this and conceal it from them. And that word hide there, it's, uh, it can mean to conceal or to keep something back, but sometimes it also means to destroy or to annihilate. And so Asaph says here, look, we're not going to destroy or hide these truths, but we're going to communicate them to our children. And it isn't just to our children, but verse 6 seems to reference at least four different generations. This is to be passed on and on. He says that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. And so you see fathers to children, to children to their children. This is to be passed on and on. I think that's important. It isn't just the duty of parents to teach their children, but it's also the duty of grandparents to teach grandchildren and to seek every generation would know the Lord. And some of you here this evening, I think you would class yourself as being older, not old, but older. Um, Some of you have grandchildren. And let me encourage you this evening to use those opportunities that you have to speak to your grandchildren about spiritual things. In my uh, limited experience, children will often listen far more attentively and far more enthusiastically to someone much older than themselves. Often, if you, when we used to run the, the children's club, sometimes the older, oldest speakers who used to come would have the attention of the children far more than, than younger speakers. There's a wonderful connection between the very old and, and the very young. And so let me encourage you this evening to, to use those opportunities that you have. You know, what goes in one ear and out the other when parents speak or when a teacher speaks may find a different response when someone much older speaks. I think this is very... Uh, true in all kinds of, of children's work. There's often this perception, isn't there, that you know, what we need for children's work is cool, young leaders you know, who the children can get alongside and they understand the children's language, they can relate to the children, and the children you know, think they're great and exciting and so on. But actually, when it comes to communicating the truths of the gospel, being cool and being young is not essential. It's not a necessity, is it? And those who are more advanced in years, actually often command more respect with the younger generation. They're better at conveying the truth and often have that wonderful connection, as I said. And I, you know, Just on a personal note, as a child, I can remember more words spoken to me by elderly people after a service than I can remember sermons that were preached. Often just somebody pulling you over to one side as a child and telling you something, some truth, often lodged... Uh, you know, and has lodged in my mind far longer than any sermon. 
And so Asaph here, he encourages us to teach the children. And you could notice all the different things that he mentions here that we're to teach. We're to teach the praises of the Lord in verse 4. We're to teach his strength. We're to teach children about his wonderful works that he hath done. We're to teach children about the testimony and the law. And we're to talk about um, the commandments as well. We're to, we're to teach all of these things to, to children. And of course that wonderful expression there, his wonderful works, of course we can just extend that, can't we, all the way through the scriptures. The, the ultimate wonderful work of Christ coming into the world and going to the cross and paying the price for our sin. And uh, this isn't the only passage, is it, where we're encouraged to do these things, where we're encouraged to uh, witness to our children and to train them. Just turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Moses says here, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, Unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Which he's saying, you know, you have to pass these things on. If you go over a few pages into Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, we have this uh, wonderful uh, passage here talking about, again, teaching children and, and the places where we should teach them. He says in Uh, chapter 6 and verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And he says here, this is a, you know, when when you've got the opportunity, use it. When you're walking past a flower Speak to the children and tell them how wonderfully the Lord has created it. When, you go to, when your child lies down in, in bed at night, sit down and, and talk to him about the way the Lord cares for you, even through the, the dark hours of the night. Use every opportunity you can to speak of the Lord and to point them to the things of God. And of course, you remember that even when the Passover was instituted, they were to do this, weren't they? The children will ask, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting down for this meal in... In Exodus 12, they were told, weren't they, to explain the significance of it, to explain the history, remind them how the Lord had wonderfully delivered them uh, out of bondage. You think, too, how Solomon, in the, uh, in the book of Proverbs, in the early chapters of Proverbs, how he just constantly keeps saying, my son, my son, my son. And he's speaking words, uh, gracious words to his son. I mean, just in... In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, My son, if sinners entice thee. Verse 15, My son, walk not. And as you go through the book of Proverbs, just over and over again, he's instructing his son. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1, and so on. Constantly, you know, these wonderful words. Listen, hearken to my words of wisdom. Listen to my advice. Listen to my experience. In Ecclesiastes, we also have those words, don't we, of Solomon in uh, in the final chapter, how he says there in chapter 12 and verse 1, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And there's all these 
passages you see encouraging us to teach children the ways of the Lord's. And of course we could add the very testimony of Christ himself, couldn't we? You remember when the disciples rebuked the mothers who sought to bring the little ones to him. He was, it tells us that he was much displeased. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Or you could add the passage in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And uh, verse 5, he says there, doesn't he, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 5, the church's master says, And who shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And the whole uh, section of Matthew 18 is is deeply instructive on this issue of, of children. You just... Uh, Look in verse 10, he says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. And there's no doubt that that expression, their little ones, is uh, more encompassing than simply talking of children. The context back in chapter, in in verses uh, 1 to 3, suggests that it includes more than just little children. But... He then goes on to talk about this, the lost sheep. He tells this parable. And it's clear that that's a picture, isn't it, of the Lord Jesus Christ seeking and saving lost sinners, and it brings great joy. And it's, it's, it's applied uh, primarily to children. It's applicable to them. And as I said, it, the expression little ones there perhaps has a deeper meaning, but we see from this passage there's a clear encouragement to reach out to, to lost children. And there's a clear incentive here that we should go out, as it were, like Christ in that sense and, and seek the lost and seek to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these encouragements to train children, to teach children. Uh, and for godly parents, you see, it's not an option but a duty Parents uh, should seek, shouldn't they, at all times to train their children in in the ways of God. Particularly the Old Testament passages show us, don't they, that fathers especially and mothers should seek every opportunity to do this, to share God's word. John Flavel wrote, If you neglect uh, to instruct your children in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? No, he says. He says, if you will not teach them to pray, he will to curse and swear and lie. If ground be uncultivated, weeds will spring. We're here encouraged, aren't we? Not to let the devil get the first place, but we're to be ahead of him, teaching them the things of God. But what are we to do when parents have neglected their duty? This was very much the case, wasn't it, in the days following Joshua and the elders, you remember, What it says there in in the book of Judges, right at the very beginning, Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Joshua had died, the elders that followed him had died, and it says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done. For Israel, And there are tens of thousands around us, aren't there, even in this community, who have no care for the things of God's, and they're therefore never going to pass them on to the next generation. So 
we ask ourselves the question, what do we do in, in such a situation? Well, surely in this particular case, it's the church's responsibility to take this truth to them. Like the shepherd seeking the lost sheep, we should go out and find them. Like the guests that were invited to the banquet, we should go into the streets and the lanes of the city and into the highways and hedges. And there are so many encouragements in the word of God instructing us, aren't there, to go out and do this, to to reach people. And that includes even children, doesn't it, to teach children. We've seen then this... uh, how child evangelism is essential. We've seen how child evangelism is encouraged, but our third point this evening is that we could say child evangelism uh, has many examples in Scripture. The Scriptures are full of examples of people who came to saving faith, aren't there, while they were young. Take, for example, Samuel. There's a young boy who hears the word of God. God calls him. And he responds, doesn't he? We see someone who was then grew into a man mightily used by the Lord. Or you think of David. There he was caring and tending for his father's sheep. But at some point in those hours of loneliness and labour, he trusted in the Lord when he was but a boy. Or you think of Josiah. Josiah was 16 when he came to faith. 2 Chronicles 34 says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. You could add to the list someone that we're going to be considering in our studies in Elisha. You remember the little maid in Naaman's house? A little girl who showed great faith in the God of Elisha. When you think about that situation, there was, you know, surrounded by foreigners, surrounded by wickedness. Very few at that time believed in the God of Israel. And yet she shows great faith, and yet she was only a little girl. And of course we find in the New Testament the same, don't we? As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, who is it that's singing Christ's praises and saying, Hosanna to the son of David? It was little children. You remember on that occasion Jesus said, Have ye never read, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise? I think too we can see many examples, can't we, of uh, godly parents being used in Scripture and being used as instruments in their children's faith. Think of Samson. Samson's a prime example. His parents looked to the Lord, and their boy became a great judge of Israel. Timothy, as well, we're told, aren't we, was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And you remember what Paul says to him in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verses 14 and 15, he says, "'But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned.'" and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So there's an example of someone who was taught as a child, taught by his mother, taught by his grandmother, to learn the scriptures and to know the holy scriptures. And I think we can add other examples, can't we? You think of Moses. I think it's clear that he was taught by his parents. Amram and Jochebed were crucial, I think, to his development and his faith. Or you can think back, can't you, to Samuel again. And as you trace the faith of Samuel back, you find the root of it was a God-fearing and a prayerful mother. There she was in the temple praying for a child and she offered that she would dedicate it to the Lord. And God granted her request. 
And Samuel is brought into the temple where he hears the word of God. And it's not just parents, is it, that can have this influence. You remember that passage in, in 2 Chronicles about Jehoiada the priest. If you know that passage, how he raised Joash secretly in the temple. He was an elderly man into his hundreds. He's one of the oldest men after the time of the, the floods. And we read there that, he, that Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. He had a wonderful influence on this child as he was growing up, teaching him the things of God. And you think too of even Abraham. You turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. And there's one of these little things that we could easily pass over and skip, but an interesting reference to Abraham teaching his household. Genesis 18 and verse 19. This is the moment when the angels have come and visited Abraham and Sarah. And you have this verse here as the Lord is talking to them. And the Lord said in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? That's concerning Sodom. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. You see, the Lord knew that Abraham was going to teach his children, and he was going to teach his whole household. And you think of all the servants that he had. Abraham was used to instruct those in his, under his, as it were, uh, jurisdiction. And we see what these great examples and encouragements we have then in the, in the Bible of children coming to faith in Christ. And this should spur us on to fulfil these duties. Those of you who are parents, those of you who are grandparents, those of you who will be parents, we're to prayerfully seek, aren't we, the Lord's help in this as we seek to evangelise and reach children. And as we look around us here in Ripon, we should want to, that boys and girls should know the things of the Lord, as Psalm 78, that they would come and set their hope in God's and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The issue we have today is we have to teach them. They, don't, they can't forget something they don't know. And they don't know the things of God. They don't know the commandments of God. And we're to point them so that they may have their hope set in him. Solomon said, didn't he? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. May the Lord help us as we seek to train up children and see them saved for the glory of God's